This is Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by John Garvey, PwC's Global Financial Services Leader of PwC US. You've just published a report. The headline is basically a once-in-a-generation change for financial services. Is this actually due to the pandemic, or is it due to technology, or is it a bit of both? It's a bit of both, Rob, and I would say what the pandemic has done is to accelerate a number of trends that are already underway, but we've compressed in some respects, and I'll give you an example in a second, several years, maybe five years into into a few short months. So an example of this is use of digital channels, right? Because bank branches and insurance agencies and things like being closed, basically people who were very resistant to digital channels had to use them or they just couldn't get their banking done or they couldn't meet with their wealth manager. So we've had this acceleration of kind of use of digital channels, which would have taken five to 10 years maybe happening in a period of months. And have those digital channels so far succeeded or have they been found wanting in any way? I think it depends on what business you're in. So if you think about kind of typical banking activities, they've succeeded spectacularly and, and really shown that the, for most people, the bank branch is, is not necessary for them to be able to do their banking. If you speak to wealth managers, what they'll tell you is that the missing kind of client contact is difficult. It's difficult to form new relationships with clients. That applies to corporate banking as well. But in terms of existing relationships and maintenance activities, it's, it's working fine. But new relationships or accruing and deepening existing relationships are very difficult to do over digital channels. Well, if I can focus for a moment on the technology before moving on to how the institutions themselves are likely to change, this is obviously an opportunity for fintech, for bank tech, because any institution that is having difficulty delivering the services it needs to deliver has obviously got to be looking at ways around that. And the way around that is to embrace technology. And some banks and financial services institutions that may have been slow to do that have had a rocket put where the sun doesn't shine to get on and and tackle those issues. Absolutely correct. Anyone whose digital offerings are not up to snuff have really been hurt very badly and have had to play a fairly significant game of catch-up. But I I will say what will happen here once the brick-and-mortar channels are finally phased out in most places, right now financial institutions are splitting their spend between traditional channels and digital channels. Now they'll be able to funnel their resources almost exclusively into digital channels. So I, I expect even further improvements. And when you add something like 5G which will allow you to much closer simulate an in-person experience over virtual media. That's also very exciting. All right, let's turn to, to what's going to change within the institutions themselves. Obviously, this is an opportunity for the young digital challengers who have already embraced the technology. But financial services, and you highlight this in the report, the non-banks are going to take business from banks. Why would that be? So the spread of cost and availability now of capital between 
regulated capital or capital at a regulated institution versus non-regulated institution, that spread has increased dramatically because of regulation and is due to increase even further with new rules around customer money, new rules around capital, Basel IV, the full phase in of Basel IV. So what you have is, you know, a pound of capital or a euro or a dollar at a bank has to yield a much higher return than a non-bank because the non-bank is not subject to the same regulation. So that has really put the banks uh, or, or traditional financiers who are regulated under a huge amount of pressure. Then there's the availability point. So if you look at what is going to happen, you know, starting now, really, in terms of asset impairments due to the pandemic, there will be a capital hit for sure for regulated institutions. Uh, and the question is, will they have the earnings power to replace that capital? Uh, but more fundamentally, as we say in the report, we don't think that, that the regulated institutions will have the capital to finance the recovery. So we see greater participation in the recovery in financial markets from non-traditional financiers, non-banks, who will provide potentially the bulk of the financing in the recovery here. Uh, you also touch on, in the report, the ESG issue. What's that likely to mean? Because a lot of people now are, are becoming as more health conscious, perhaps, but as part of that, more aware of what their money's doing and where their money's going. How is that increased focus on ESG going to impact the sector? So number one, I think the, the first impact will be, for example, you're seeing a number of organizations committing to net zero as an organization. So XYZ Bank or XYZ Insurance Company committing to themselves being net zero. So there's quite a bit of commitment out there, but the plans and the actions will need to follow. So there'll be quite a bit of work to be done in each of these institutions to get them to net zero. And then ESG's impact on their business uh, models. So for example, I think in wealth management, we're starting, you know, we've really seen an emergence of a class of investing and, a, and an overall greater focus on due diligence and where, where are your investments going? Are these companies you're investing in clean? What's their contribution to the carbon footprint, et cetera? I think it's less clear in banking and insurance because not yet have, are we seeing, you know, aside from a handful of banks who won't lend to coal industry or, or things like that, you know, has ESG really factored into lending yet? I would say not really. And is it factored into insurance underwriting? Not really. Only to the extent that, you know, actual data around whether it's flooding or wildfires or things like that are already priced into the actuarial models. So I guess indirectly for insurance, uh, property and casualty, it is to a certain extent. But is it explicitly in the models not yet. So, so this is, this is where the, I think there's a big question as to where this will develop. Looking forward to the shape of the financial services sector in 10 years time, we, one might hope, be able to look back at this situation as having been resolved. It would be nice to hope that it would have been resolved and that a vaccine would have been created, etc. What's the shape of financial services then and banking then? If we have this 
once in a generation change that your report securing your tomorrow today, the future of financial services suggests, what does the sector look like? I think a year ago, none of us would have predicted where we are today, right? So take all predictions of the future with some bit of a grain of salt. However, I think there are a couple of things that it's hard to see not following a trend line. And you have to think about what that means. So let me give you an example. Interest rates. With the amount of government debt that is now in place, particularly post-COVID, it's hard to see that the governments, to the extent they can control interest rates, will allow interest rates to go up. Because simply, they can't pay the debt if the interest rates get too high. So what, what do low interest rates mean Low interest rates put pressure, puts pressure on all of the business models of financial institutions, right? It puts pressure on net interest margins for banks, puts pressure on investment managers to improve their, their returns and yields. It puts pressure on life and annuity providers who, who sell guaranteed products, for example. So it puts pressure across the entire industry. So what does that mean? That means that cost reduction, so it needs to be a leaner, um, more productive, more digital industry than it is today. And, you know, back to this point around capital, unless regulation, you know, fully changes, this spread of the cost of capital is not going away between banks and non-banks. So will, will financial institutions become more, brokers or intermediaries in a platform sense around people who have the capital who want to lend and people who want to to borrow, for example, and become more of an intermediary and take a fee for that. If you look at really some of the models, you know, that you see around the world of some of the crowdfunding platforms or some of the platforms in China or the US or here in the UK, it's more the lending is really financed by investors or it's quickly securitized and, and sold on the secondary markets. So in effect, many of these firms are already doing exactly what I said. So I think more and more, you're going to see financial institutions becoming intermediaries on a platform taking a transaction fee as opposed to an intermediary and provider of capital. Future beckons. John Garvey, thank you very much.